morning, Connect. That's much better. That's much better. Hey, listen, uh, can you join me as we welcome our online community as well? Thank you so much for all of you guys for being here with us today. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Deej. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be able to share the word with you guys today. Are you guys excited? All right, all right. Our lead pastor, Derek Fry, he's on vacation. He's probably at the beach right now, suffering for Jesus, like he likes to say. So I got the privilege to kind of be here with you guys. Um, and anyway, so let's, let's, let's get going. You know, last week, who was here last week? Raise your hand. Didn't, didn't Devin do a great job? He did a fantastic job. And one of his points, actually, the first, the first point in his message, uh, he was talking about uh, the fact that we need to celebrate more often. And I wholeheartedly agree, agree with that. Do you agree with that? We need to celebrate more often. Now, the thing is, whenever we celebrate, I was thinking about the word celebrate. And, and whenever we celebrate, I came to realize that if we celebrate, we need to participate, right? We need to participate. So when, when uh, 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 you know, Ray Allen you know, shot, uh, shot that three-pointer at the last second of the game and turned the game around, you know, like you don't, you don't necessarily just stay still. You jump up and down and you celebrate, right? I mean, even if you're not a sports fan, you still celebrate. You know, you still celebrate. You know, when Tom Brady passes that football at the last second and you know what happened, you celebrate. You jump up and down. You participate. You respond to what's happening. Because you can't celebrate if you don't participate. You can't celebrate if you don't respond. Am I right? Now, we as a church, we celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We just sang about it, Right? All right, you, you got to answer back. Isn't that right? We just sang about it. We celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then that comes with a question. If we are to participate in order to celebrate, how do we participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? What is our part to play? How do we respond to that? And that is what I want to be speaking to you guys about today. Are you guys excited? Yes. You know, this, this message will challenge you. It can change your life if you let it. it. It really can change your life. And this also will give you kind of, kind of a, a brief overview of what Connect is all about. And I hope that you guys enjoy. Look to your neighbor. High five your neighbor. High five your neighbor. Come on, come on. No germaphobes. I mean, if you are, just, you know, fist bump. <laughs> high five your neighbor. Say, it's going to be good. All right, so we're going to dive right in because I have a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about. And I want to try to get you out of here in the next three hours or so. Uh, so let's keep going. I don't know why you're laughing, but let's, 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 let's get going. You know, let's look at the um, book of John, chapter 11, verse 17 and following. And this is the story of Lazarus, when Jesus resurrected Lazarus. And it's so good that we were talking, we were singing this song, you know, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Sometimes we can sing stuff and not really understand. And this is my hope is to kind of, you know, shed some light into what does it mean what does resurrection really mean to us? So here we go. Uh, John 11, 17 and following. It says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. He had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them. Martha and Mary were the brothers, uh, sisters of um, Lazarus. So they came to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus then said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And then Martha answered, I know he's going to rise again, Jesus, in the resurrection at the last day. But then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now the question is, Martha, do you believe this? Now we skip ahead, go to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there's a bad odor. For he has been there, dead, for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, church, a lot of times we look at the resurrection like Martha was looking at the resurrection. We look at it simply just as an event that happened. And yeah, it was an event that happened. Um, You know, Jesus died for us. He stayed dead for three days. And then he resurrected on the third day. Who can give God praise for that? But it was an event. But it was just not, not, not just an event. What Jesus is saying here to Martha. So Martha, Martha says, if you had been here, he would be alive. He would not have died. And then Jesus says to her, yeah, but he is going to rise again. And then she says, I know there's an event. There's an event. Resurrection day. That's when he's going to rise again. But then Jesus said something very profound. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. In other words, Jesus was saying, Martha, I think you're misunderstanding what resurrection is all about. I think that you're not seeing the full picture. You're just looking at it through one angle. But there's more to it than just that. He was saying, Martha, the resurrection is not just an event. The resurrection is a person. Is a person. And that person is me. However, resurrection is not just an event then, but rather a, 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 a life to be lived. It's left us, especially in the story of Lazarus, it gives us an example that we can apply to our lives today. Can I have an amen? amen? Now, I believe that for many of us here today, Jesus is doing the same thing as he did to Lazarus. He's calling you out. Amen. He's calling you out of the grave. He's calling you out of the place that you've been perhaps separated from your calling. Perhaps separated from significance. Maybe separated from from your purpose. Maybe even separated from God. Maybe even separated from God. Jesus is doing that today. He wants you to get out of the grave. Get out of the grave, so to speak. And I think about the tomb of Jesus. You know, when when the disciples went to to the tomb of Jesus and, and they get there, they were looking for Jesus. And then there was an angel there. You guys know the story. There was an angel there. And the angel said, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's no longer here. He's no longer here. I find it, church, that very often we are doing the same thing. We do the same thing as the the disciples were doing. We're still looking for the living amongst the dead. We're still looking for life 
in dead things. In dead things. And Jesus wants us to stop doing that. Because we can never find the living amongst the dead. We can never find life in dead places. Can I have an amen for that? Amen. We can't. We just can't find it. And I believe that Jesus is calling us out. Come forth. Come out. Experiencing resurrection is not just looking at it as an event, but it is a new life to be lived. You have a new chance to do what I called you to do. That's what Jesus is saying. And we're still trying to find life and satisfaction in that places. Whether it's an old habit, whether it's trying to live today, thinking it's still yesterday. You know, looking at life today through the lenses of our past. Jesus wants us to stop doing that because we can't find life in dead places. Can I have an amen? amen. So if you celebrate, you participate. Remember what I said? If you celebrate, you got to participate. And we have a part to play. We have a part to play in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a world today that evil has never been so evil. Even though sometimes we can't see it because you turn on TV, everything is about our President Trump. But, but sometimes you can't see it, but it's very subtle. It's very evil. We live in an evil world right now. It has never been so evil as it is now. But let me tell you something, church. We also live at a time that the favor of God has never been so strong in his church. Has never been so strong in his church. Now we, as, as, as we call ourselves Christians, as, as we call ourselves followers of Christ, we need to look at it and say, how, how am I participating? If I celebrate what Jesus is doing through Connect or through many other life-giving churches, if I celebrate it, I need to participate. So how do I do that? How do I participate in what he is doing? And that's what we believe as a church. We believe in taking people in a journey from the, from the street to the seat to significance, like PD likes to say. And just like Lazarus, Jesus is calling you out. And I believe that in the story of Lazarus, we kind of see a foreshadowing of the life that Jesus wants us to have. Because we're able to have it because of his power. So I want to present this question to you. What does the journey look like? Jesus resurrected Lazarus in the cave. He didn't come out and then he resurrected. He resur resurrected him in the cave. But he had to take some steps out in order for him to accomplish everything that Jesus had for him to accomplish. And he went on. He went on to accomplish many great things as we see in the Bible. So what are the steps that one must walk in order to experience resurrection life? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Now Jesus prayed a prayer right before he resurrected Lazarus. He said this, Lord, I thank you that you hear me. And I'm praying this so that everyone can see and know God. And believe in you. This is paraphrasing. Believing in you, God. Everybody needs to see you. That's why I'm doing this. Now, there's a similar prayer that we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18 or 19. This is Paul praying. This is a very similar prayer in nature, but it's more of an expanded prayer about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And this is where I want to camp for most of our time today. In Ephesians 1... Verse uh, 16 and following, actually, I'm going to skip 15. So 16 and following, he says, I, Paul, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance 
in the saints. So what does the journey look like? Every journey starts with a first step. Am I right? And so we go back to the beginning of this text in 117. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the what? Knowledge. In the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. So the first step that we need to take in order to experience resurrection life is to know God. It's to know God. This is in your, in your, in your worship guide. It's to know God. That word, knowledge, comes from the Greek. It's, it's, it's called gnosko. Say gnosko. All right, you sound so Greek right now. All right, so it doesn't mean really just mental knowledge, you know, knowledge based on facts or information. But it actually means knowledge based on uh, knowledge that comes from the heart. Knowledge based on, on a revelation. Knowledge based on, on uh, relationship with somebody. You know, think about it. When you, you can know somebody or you can know about somebody. Those, those are two different things. I remember a couple of years back, and they were, they were talking about Michael Phelps on, on TV. You, you guys know who Michael Phelps is? They were talking about him on TV all the time, every time. It was like Donald Trump right, right now. So they were talking about him all the time because he was winning every gold medal there was. They were talking about his anatomy, how his body is, his arms are longer than the usual, uh, and his hands and, and so forth because it makes it you know, possible for him to swim super fast like he does. And they were talking about him a lot. They were also talking about you know, his diet, what he eats for breakfast. I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, I would be happy with that meal. Yeah, I mean, he eats like I would love to. I just can't. Because uh, he burns a little more, you know, uh, energy than I do. But anyways, uh, they were talking a lot about him. And I became to, I, I started to get to know a lot about him. And I, if I wanted to, I could even become an expert on him. You know, I could Google him. I could put his name on Wikipedia, and find out even more information, where he came from, where he was born, parents, and so forth. I could become an expert on him. But let's say I was the expert on Michael Phelps. If you were to come up to me and, and just ask me, do you know him? Do you actually know him? I know, I know you are an expert, but do you know him? Do you know why, what he's like? You probably know what he does, but do you know why he does it? Do you know his motivations behind it? Do you know his, his nature? Or another question that you may have for me is, does he actually know you? Does he know you? And I would have to say, no, actually he doesn't. You know, I have a seven-year-old. He's probably playing outside. Um, and every now and then we, we talk about, you know, girlfriends and stuff. And so I asked him just a couple of days ago, so, Lucas, do you have a girlfriend? Yes, I do. All right. <laughs> Who is your girlfriend? And, and he, he said, Vanessa. Okay, I'm just, I just whisper because I don't want anybody to know. That was Vanessa, by the way. Uh, he was like, Vanessa. And he's like, why, Lucas? Why Vanessa? She's not even in the school anymore. Well, it's Vanessa. And I'm like, wow, she's not even in the school. This is getting a little serious for, for a seven-year-old. And then I asked him the question, well, so she's your girlfriend? Yeah, she is. Does she know? And he goes like, no. I'm like, all right. I don't have to worry about it. Why? Because she doesn't know about it. Because she doesn't know about it. So there's a difference between knowing about someone or really knowing someone. Am I right? And this is a big problem that we see all over the world today. And we see that in church as well. We see that in church as well. We have many people that know God and have a relationship with him. But we have a lot of people that are deceiving themselves into thinking that they know God. But the truth is they just know about God. 
I know this is going to get a little, a little heavy, but I need you to bear with me because this is for your own good. You know, some people have little to moderate, maybe even extensive knowledge about Jesus, but it's all based on facts, information received, things they learned. But they don't necessarily have a vibrant, live relationship with God. They know about Jesus like I can know about Michael Phelps, but they don't really know Jesus. That is why we always say here at Connect that the, 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 the basic, the foundation of, a live, of living a Christian life is to have a relationship. It's based on relationship. It's not based on, on what you know about, about God. It's not based on what you do for God either. It's not religion. It's relationship. Now, some of us have the, the Christian life down to a little formula. You know, we go to church, you know, a dozen times a year or maybe a little bit more. And whatever we feel it's, it's okay, it's our Christian duty to do. You know, some of us uh, come in and we give a little money uh, when the bucket goes around, even though we don't have a bucket here. But, you know, some people, uh, you know, give a little money or maybe they tithe faithfully because that's what the Bible says so and I got to do what a good Christian needs to do. You know, maybe you, you pray before every meal or maybe just on Sundays. I don't know. Or maybe when there's another Christian near you. So you got to do your Christian thing. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying that doing these things are bad. Yes, you should pray before you meal and give thanks to God. Yes, you should, you should tithe. That's what the Bible says. Yes, you should come to church. The Bible also says that. But then the question is not really, you shouldn't be asking yourself or questioning whatever you do. Is it enough or not? The real question should be, why am I doing this? What's the why behind the why? Am I doing this out of obligation, out of just the fact that this is what a Christian should do? Or am I doing this out of relationship? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Is this a conditional thing or is this a consequence? Am I, do, I, do I have to meet certain conditions to be called a Christian? That's why I'm doing this. Or is it a byproduct of my love and affection and relationship towards Christ? That's a question that we need to have. Otherwise, we can be just living in religion and not relationship. And we have to drop our religion in order for us to establish a real relationship with Jesus. Can I have an amen? amen? My hope is that everyone could say, you know what? I went to connect with the church and I lost all of my religion. All of it. All of it. You know, this is very common for pastors, but I have a little secret weapon in order for me to, you know, preach the gospel and talk to people. You know, I, as I'm talking to somebody that I just met, I usually ask the question, so what do you do for a living? And they tell me what they do, what, where they work, and so forth. But I do that because subconsciously they have to ask me what I do, you know. So they ask, so what about you? I say, well, I'm a pastor at a local church in, here in Ashland. And then once, once I do that, once I do that, some people are, are intrigued by it, and we start talking and so forth. Some people just like, all right, so how do I get out of this conversation politely? <laughs> and then they say, you know what, like I'm really not into religion. And I say, I'm not either, man. I really don't like that stuff. I don't like religion stuff. And that just intrigues them. Why? Because people are so conditioned to think that being a Christian is all about doing certain stuff religiously. And it's not about that. Church, I urge you to know that it's not about that. It's all about relationship. So in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, this is, I'm going to get real personal, real strong here for a moment, but bear with me. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never what? I never knew you. I never knew you. That really shows that at the end there will be two groups of people. The people that knew about God and the people that actually knew God. So if I was to uh, contextualize this, it, w- it would look like this. You know, God, I, I, I went to church every single Sunday, probably missed one or two a year only, but that was vacation. That's okay. <laughs> you know, I was part of the dream team. I served every single event there was. I gave money to the church, and I helped the poor, and I did, and I did, and I did, and I did. Some people are going to focus on what they did. Some people are going to focus on what they didn't. You know, I wasn't as bad as so-and-so. You know, I, I didn't commit adultery even though I really wanted to. I, I didn't watch that show even though I really wanted to. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Some, some will focus on what they did. Some will focus on what they didn't. Just like sometimes we do today, right? We focus on what we do and what we don't do. But at the end, Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. He's not going to say, you know what? I wasn't there. I didn't see if you actually did all these things. I don't have time to... To, to call your pastor and check to make sure that you did all those things. I never knew you. You and I didn't connect. You and I were not friends. Hmm. We need to do everything we possibly can to make sure that we are in the group that knows Jesus, not simply knows about Jesus. Can I have an amen from somebody? I love what Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, in Philippians 3, verse 6 through 9, it says, And as for righteousness, which is, you know, being okay with God, going to heaven, having the ticket open, ready to go. Being okay with God, as, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, doing everything right. But now I consider them all worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is just worthless when compared with the infinite value of what? Knowing Christ. Of knowing Christ. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Notice this. He, need to, he needed to discount everything else. Stop thinking about that so that he could gain Christ because he can't do both. You can't do both. You can't be focused on your behavior in order for you to gain right standing with God. You actually need to get right standing with God and the behavior is just a byproduct of it. Can I have an Amen. So he goes on to say, counting it all as garbage, so then I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. So again, there will be two groups. The the, the group that know God and the group that simply know about God. You should do everything you possibly can to be in the right group. So my prayer to you today is that anyone and everyone that is within the reach of my voice, whether you're here now or whether you're watching online, that you would make the, the bold decision to step up from just knowing about God. Whether you know a little, a little more, or a lot. Make the bold decision to step up from knowing about God to actually knowing God. And in just a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Alright? I'm going to give an opportunity for you to respond to that. The Bible says that if we confess our sins uh, to God, He is faithful and just to forgive. And if we believe it in our hearts, and if we confess with our mouth... You're going to be saved. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. So between now and then, in just a few moments from now, just don't die on me, all right? You guys stay with me. 
God brought you here. God's going to keep you alive. Amen? All right. All right. And I want you to start your journey. All right? This is all about a journey. I want you to start your journey. And, you, and, and when there are four steps, major steps, that we're taking this journey. And I want you to start that journey. Now, maybe some of you here already started that journey, but kind of took a little break, you know, kind of took a little exit to a rest area, you know, one of those welcome centers uh, along Route 95, and, and maybe you stopped there for a little while, or maybe you kind of stuck there. I want to encourage you to kind of get back on the road and keep doing what God has called you to do. Now, Philippians 3.10, it says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. So there are two parts to our journey. The first one is we need to know God. And then we can experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Knowing Christ is the first part. It's the most important one. Is really the catalyst to everything else. Now to experience is a different part. One is about being saved. One is about uh, uh, being uh, accepted by God. Being forgiven by God. Being in right standing with God. And the second one. Is about being restored. It's about being redeemed. It's about being uh, basically fixed, getting our life in order. The first one happens in an instant. The second one happens in the course of time. So don't think that you're going to, if you accept Jesus today, I mean, your life is going to change today 100%. Everything drops. Uh, you, 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 you have no sins anymore. Every set of lights is going to be green from now on. It doesn't work like that. All right? It's a process. It's a process. So let's keep going. You guys getting something out of it? All right, so let's keep going. Uh, Ephesians 1.18. So may the Father of glory give, you, give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We just talked about that. And then it goes on to say, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Enlightened. Come on, say enlightened. Enlighten. This word enlightened from the Greek is photismeni. Okay, photismeni, which means to shine, or, shine on or to awake or to bring out of darkness. So after we know God, after we establish a relationship with him, that, that's what happens in the cave. Then God wants to bring you out of that darkness. God wants you to experience true freedom. True freedom. This is step number two. We need to find a true freedom. Because sometimes we're deceived into thinking we're free. We're deceived into thinking that we're, we're thriving in life. When the, the fact is that we are merely surviving it. When we come to Jesus, we still have issues, don't we? We still have issues. I mean, every preacher says, if you, don't, if you think you don't have an issue, that's your issue. That's your issue. Yeah, that is so true. You know, we, we all have issues. We still have areas in our lives that we, that we are wrong. We still have areas in our life that, that, we, that we struggle with. You know, dark areas in our lives that we don't necessarily want to talk about. We still have baggage. We can still live in bondage. Some people believe that everything is, 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 is dismissed once you come to Christ. No, it's not. No, it's not. You, you, you can still struggle with that. You need to be set free. And so that's why step number two is to find true freedom. So we are all messed up because we're all human beings. But Jesus isn't, and he hates the mess. He loves you and I, but he hates the mess. And he loves, he loves, he loves you. And he loves the project and the task of helping you be set free. They warned Jesus that Lazarus had been dead for four days and the tomb probably stunk real bad they warned him now listen to this church i think that there are many areas in our lives that have been dead for a while some areas some sin areas or some bad experiences that we had 
whether that we caused it or somebody caused it, that we kind of bury it very deep. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We avoid thinking about it. We don't even want to pray about it, like Pastor Mark was preaching at, a, at SNL. We don't even want to touch that subject. Why? Because it stinks. Because it hurts. But Jesus wants to get right in that mess and help you through it. Jesus is calling you out of that grave because you can't find life in that thing. It's going to have an amen. amen. Now, remember when Lazarus came out. So he was coming out. He was stepping towards Jesus. He was experiencing resurrection life. And then he knew Jesus. But then what did Jesus say? This is what he said in uh, John eleven forty four. He said, and the dead man came out. His, head, uh, his uh, hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in headcloth. And then Jesus told them, the people around him. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him and let it go. Lazarus came out bound in those things. Like he, he, he couldn't even walk. He was barely walking. But he couldn't do anything. He couldn't jump up and down. He couldn't participate. He couldn't do anything. And Jesus needed him to be set free in order for him to go on and do what he needed to do. If, if, if Jesus brought him back to life, there was a purpose in it. And the Bible says in chapter uh, 11, uh, 12 that many came to know Christ because of Lazarus. So Jesus still had a purpose for his life. But in order for him to accomplish that purpose, he, need to be, he needed to be set free. So he said, unwrap him. Get rid of all of that stuff so that he can do what, I, what I'm calling him to do. So this is what it says about freedom. This is how it applies to you and I. The best way for us to find freedom is within the context of community. It is with other people. It is within the context of a small group. That's why it's so important for us to be plugged into a church. That's where we find that community. That's where we've, we're able to get to a small group of people and kind of say, you know, take my mask off. This is what is really going on. I feel God is leading me in this direction. I feel that, that I need to do this. But in order for me to do this, I have to get rid of this and I need help. I need help. So Jesus said, unwrap him. And Jesus is telling all of us here to just be willing to go through that process. Yes, we make room for frequent flyers here, Connect. People that come in and out, they're checking us out and all that. And we're never going to change that. But my charge to you is that you're never going to really grow unless you plant it and root it in a life-giving church. Maybe Connect, maybe some, somewhere, somewhere else. But you need to be rooted and planted in order for you to grow. Just like a tree won't grow if it's not rooted to good soil. Not just any soil, but good soil. It's so important for you to get plugged in because that's when you can be in community and your life can be changed. Can I have an amen? amen. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So we confess our sins to God for forgiveness, but to other people in order for us to be healed, in order for us to actually thrive in life, getting connected to a small group is vital. Now you can say, can I just go to churches on Sunday? I promise not to miss any Sunday, Pastor. Can I just go to church on Sunday? And my response to you is, I wish I could say yes. But the truth is, it's really not enough. It has nothing to do with salvation. But in order for you to thrive in life, in order for you to experience the full power of what Jesus did for us in the cross, this is not really just enough. You need to get connected in small in small groups. Why is it important? I'm going to ask you a question. What does preaching does? Preaching like I'm doing right now. What does it do? It inspires people. 
It can challenge people. And it can teach people. Now, what does a good, godly relationship do to you? It helps you to implement what you've learned. It helps you to, to create a strategy to accomplish what you've been challenged to, accom to accomplish. It helps you to put everything into practice. That is why it is so important. And this is the next fill in the blank. Inspiration, it's important. But it becomes implementation in the context of relationships. Inspiration by itself does nothing. It needs to be applied. So inspiration becomes implementation in the context of relationships. And here's a test. I'm not, I'm not a betting man. I'm not a betting man. Only against Devin. Uh, you all know the Elsa story. If you don't, ask me later. You know, but if I were, I would say that 99% of you guys here would not be able to tell me the titles of the messages, the last five messages preached right here on this stage. Even though we have awesome preachers, you would not be able to tell me the titles of the last five messages. But if I was to ask you, you know, just to name five people, five relationships in your life that had an impact in your life, positive or negative, you would be able to tell me that in less than a minute. Why? Because there's power in relationships. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with good relationships. Amen? Amen. Small groups are coming up. Uh, again, new small groups, new batch of small groups coming up again. In the beginning of September, I highly encourage you to get plugged in and to get connected. So the text goes on. And it says, Ephesians 1.18, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Say, his calling. A lot of people looking for hope. Everyone really looking for hope. Who doesn't want hope? Now, it's, it's important to understand that the hope of our salvation, the hope of being in heaven, spending eternity in heaven, is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus alone. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father if not through me. But that's then. What about now? What, where, where can we place our hope in order for us to live a... a, 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 a um, Great Christian life in order for us to thrive in life, not, not only survive. Our hope needs to be attached to his calling for us. We can't attach hope to the next promotion at, at our work, to the next big paycheck. We can't attach hope to the big house we're, we're trying to buy or maybe the big car, the faster car, whatever, uh, whatever makes you happy. We can't, we can't attach our hope to that. We can't attach our hope to the next husband we're trying to find even though you still have the old one there. We can't, you know, or our wife for that matter. We can't attach our hope to that. Because every time we do it, we're going to come out empty at the end. We need to attach our hope to the calling that Jesus has for us. And this is what we do next. First, we get to know God. Second, we get to find and understand the true freedom. And then third, we discover our purpose. Discover your purpose is the next fill in the blank. Two greatest days in your life. This is what the saying says. Two greatest days in your life is the, is the day you're born. It's the first one. The second one is the day that you find out why. That changes things, doesn't it? It really changes things. But then even like, you know, I, I, I had some people tell me, like, yeah, but I don't know if God has a purpose for me. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really think that I'm good at anything. You know, I, I wasn't even planned by my parents. You know, it kind of happened by accident. I mean, the last I checked, I think I, I have my accent. My sister is here, I think. Uh, she confirmed that. I think I happened by accident too. You know, I wasn't planned. <laughs> you know, that may be true of your parents. Or, or that may be true of even 
darker, more difficult circumstances in which you came to be. But let me tell you, I'll tell you something. If you're breathing, if you have a heartbeat, God has a plan for you. God created you for a reason. And God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. I love what it says in Psalms 139, verse 13 and following. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mom's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Everybody knows this verse, by the way. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So, yeah, everybody knows this and everybody says it. But what really makes a difference sometimes is, is what separates us, uh, us, you and I from, from King David when he wrote this is that last little sentence. Yes, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. But the last sentence says this, I know that full well. So the Bible says that about you. But the question is, do you know it? Do you believe it? God has a purpose for you. No matter what the enemy has tried to tell you. And in order for us to live a resurrection life and participate in what we celebrate, we need to first understand that God created you for a reason. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So good works, purpose, and then God created you for that purpose. Therefore, we believe and connect that purpose precedes design. But whenever we look at the design, design will reveal your destiny. Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even ever came to be. God thought you through. You weren't created by accident. And we have to live with the fear of the Lord. If we are to fear anything, we need to fear the Lord. And PD says that the fear of the Lord is saying yes to him in spite of what it requires. We should always pursue our calling, no matter what the cost is. Even if we think we can't do it. Even if, even if we're afraid. Oh, I can't do it. I, I, I don't think I'm equipped enough. Let me tell you something. The God that calls is the God that equips. All right, he, he equips you along the way. We're always being qualified for what comes next. Always being equipped. So don't ever be afraid of failing. The greatest fear should never be of failure. But it should be of actually succeeding in something that didn't matter. We can all be doing great things. But are these good things that we're doing, are they God things? Or are they just distractions to keep us away from what God really intended us to do? Which leads me to the last part of the scripture, Ephesians 1, 16, or 18. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The best thing you can leave for your kids is not what you live for them, it's what you actually leave in them. That's your legacy. The best thing that you can leave for your kids is what you leave in them. God has, a, has an inheritance for us in heaven, but he also left an inheritance already in us. And he did it for his glory, for the benefit of other people, of ourselves, of other people, but then ultimately for his glory. Now, legacy is what you impart, what you deposit into others. And the question is, what is your legacy going to be? What are you going to be remembered by? Are you going to be remembered by what you've accomplished for yourself? Or are you going to be remembered by what you've accomplished for other people and for God and for his kingdom? And this is the last point. Once we, once we know God, once we discover uh, a freedom, we find freedom.
we discover our purpose, then we can finally go to the fourth step, which is to make a difference. Make a difference. Are we living for a success? Or are we living for significance? Success is all about us. Significance is all about others. The inheritance that God deposited in you, the gifts and talents that God deposited in each one of you guys, was never meant to just sit there and collect interest. It was meant to be used for the benefit of God, His kingdom, and other people. And remember, God will not keep you, God will not hold you accountable for what you're doing. God's going to hold you accountable for what he designed and asked you to do. So the question is, are you? Are you walking that path? Are you walking in the redemptive plan and the purpose of God? So this is what Connect is all about. We celebrate life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to participate. And we do that by taking people in a journey. We help people to know God, and we do that through service experiences, just like today. Help people be exposed to the gospel. Exposed to the fact that there's, there's a God, and that God loves you, in spite of what you do. He loves you so much. And once people get to know God, we help them to find freedom. And we do that within the safety and context of community in the small groups. And while that's happening, we also help people to discover their purpose, why they're born, why they're wired the way they're wired why they function the way they do and we do that through next steps which happens every single Sunday during the second service and then finally we ignite people we kind of activate people to start to make a difference and we do that through the dream team and this is what connect is all about to know God find freedom discover your purpose and make a difference let me say it this way at connect we live for lost people to be saved saved people to be pastored pastored people to be trained and equipped and then trained and equipped people to be mobilized so that together we can make a difference the question is are you ready to step into that journey can you stand on your feet please at this time i'd like to ask everyone to just bow your heads close your eyes there's nothing spooky going on this doesn't make you more spiritual or anything like that this is just to give a little bit of privacy to the people next to you you know Jesus didn't come to make bad people good that was a byproduct of it yeah but he didn't come to make bad people good he, he, he came to make dead people alive the same power that conquered the grave, the same power that resurrected Christ is available to you and I today. In Ephesians 1.19 it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. That is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. There's a catch here though. Incredible power, incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. The question is, do you believe Him? And I have a question for you, church. Going back to my very first point. If your day was today, what group would you be found? Are you, would you be found in the group that know God and have a vibrant relationship with them? And you have your, your relationship securing your salvation? Or would you be found in the group of people that know about God? 
And if you're ready to step up, to establish a new relationship with God, and stop living based on just religion, but start living according to what God tells us to do, which is a relationship with God. If that's you today, if you haven't done that before, but you're ready to commit your life to Christ, you're ready to say yes to, to, to His sacrifice at the cross as payment for your sins. You're tired of trying to measure up on your own, trying to do more good than you did bad because that's not working out for you. If you're ready to do that, just between me, you, and God, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you today, just raise your hand, please, boldly. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So say this prayer with me, church. Say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice at the cross. I believe that you died for me, that you died for my sin, but you also resurrected. So now I choose to live for you. I invite you into my heart. Come and change me from the inside out. Help me to, to just know you more. To find freedom. To discover my purpose in this earth. And to make a difference for you. I love you. And I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Father God, thank you for everyone that is here today. Lord, I pray that this message doesn't only inspire them now, God. But I, I pray that you help them, God, through the context of relationships to put this into action, God. That this doesn't get lost in the next hour or so. But that people are compelled to get closer to you, Lord. And to just move one step forward. One step closer to where you want them to be. In Jesus' name, I pray and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a big hand.